Welcome to the second ever FBA Family Business Panel Discussion on Radio Entrepreneurs. I'm Nathan Gobes, producer. In this COVID-19 and family business related April 2021 edition of the panel discussion, we'll be covering topics related to interfamily politics, generational transition, hiring in the family business, entitlement, compensation, and much more. This episode is part one of three, and all of these discussions are intended to be highly relevant to business owners, family businesses, and entrepreneurs of all types. So be sure to follow Radio Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn, Spotify, YouTube, and many of the other platforms we stream on. First, I'd like to introduce our first panelist, a longtime supporter of Radio Entrepreneurs and frequent guest on our show, Rich Hershen. Rich is a partner at Gray Gray & Gray, a regional CPA firm located in Canton, Massachusetts. Rich provides expert guidance for business in tax strategy, compliance, audits, reviews, and complications of financial statements, revenue recognition procedures, strategic planning, uh, management reporting, and analysis. Next on our panel is Stephen Wilchins, a founding partner and attorney at Wilchins, Cosentino, and Novins, with over 42 years of experience serving the family, uh, serving businesses and estate planning needs of families, individuals, and owners of large, closely held businesses. Stephen has also co-founded several businesses himself and currently serves on seven privately held boards in several different industries. And our third panelist for this segment is Roberta Sidney, a second generation family business person and president of Sydney Associates. Roberta serves on the, the boards of Plaxall Inc., a family real estate business in its third generation, where she chairs the compensation committee and serves on its governance committee. She also serves on the board of Asalia LLC in its second generation and has vast experience in many other organizations in a wide variety of industries. Welcome, Rich, Stephen, and Roberta. Welcome. And finally, I'd like to introduce the panel's moderator, Radio Entrepreneur's host and president of MAGE LLC, Jeffrey Davis. Jeffrey is regularly called upon by his clients, contacts, and the media as a resource on change, strategy, and managing the challenges faced by entrepreneurs, leaders, and family businesses uh, family business owners trying to succeed in today's shifting world. Welcome, Jeffrey, and I'll hand the conversation over to you. Thank you very much. And I just, I don't want to offend anyone. Uh, I haven't been the president in about 20 years. That's Jonathan Friedman. I'm the CEO. Uh, so I just, I, I, just in case Jonathan, Apologies, listening, Jonathan. I, don't want, I don't want him to think I'm taking his position. So uh, <laughs> that would be a transition by uh, decree. Uh, you know, I think this is a great panel, a lot of experience on, on this panel. I want to start off, uh, you know, with something that uh, I'll even quote somebody. I used, you know, worked for many years with Bob Rosenfield, Jay and Phillips, you know, a great business, uh, built a great company. And he used to talk to me about wanting to run a meritocracy, uh, you know, and, and so and, and not just an entitlement business. And so I want to ask all of you your opinions about how does someone earn their stripes in a family business? That's where I'd like to start because I think that's important. Not everybody understands that. And I don't know who wants to take that first. Uh, it's a free for all to start. Sure, I'll, I'll kick off if you like. Great. Great, great to be here with all of you today and, and thank you so much for asking me. I think who you promote and who gets rewarded is extremely important to any organization, whether it's a family business or a social enterprise. And culture is the DNA of the organization. So it is extremely important, whether it's a family member or a non-family member, that there are rules of the road and rules of engagement when it comes to 
access to employment and access to uh, development and promotional opportunities. So that's the first thing that I would say is earning your stripes, especially if your last name is the same last name as the founder or the company or the family that, that, that owns and controls the enterprise. It's critically important that it not be a made up job for Sonny or daughter or cousin or whomever, that it be a real job with real skills and real needs and that you as the potential person who's coming in to take that role or move up in that role, that you have the skills or have the opportunity to, to demonstrate that you have the skills to take that on. Right. I, I think what's very important is that it's important not to have different classes between a family business and a non family members and non-family members. And I think one way to establish that is right up front and setting up some type of employment policy with the family and what the clear expectations are of family members if they come into the business. And they should be treated the same way. Their expectations, their compensation, uh, the rules should be, should be adhered to the same, whether you're a family member or non-family member. Yeah, I agree with both of you and, and think that it's key. I mean, I think a family member or non-family member should be treated like an employee and, um, you know, they need to earn their way up and, you know, provide good work to the company and be accountable and do all the things that would earn them the promotion, um, you know, and that's it. They should be earning their way through the company, not just entitled to it because they have the last name of the owner. Right. So I, I think. I think the earning is important because, you know, I, 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 again, I, without naming people this time, and I once had a family member that said to me, I need to run this company. And I said, why? Uh, and they said, cause my name's on the door. And I went, well, that, that's not necessarily a criteria for the whole thing. And that, that relates to me, Steve, and all of you uh, to the whole idea of an operating agreement that, that everybody abides to. And I think that that's important as well. Do you agree with that, Steve? Yes, an operating agreement, a well-drafted operating agreement, but also an employment policy, family employment policy, where it's clear what, what the expectations are for the family if they decide to enter the business. Uh, what are some of the ramifications uh, in terms of a family business of elevating, let's say, certain family members into a leadership role? You know, I'm not trying to pick on you first again, Roberta, but you were a family member that was elevated in a family business, and uh, I was as well. And, uh, you know, automatically it put a target on my back. I don't know what it did for you, but what do you feel about those types of things? Well, again, I think that you have to deserve the role. You can't be in the role because of your last name. Um, in my case, I certainly had the technical and other skill abilities. This was a construction company I was taking over for my father. And then I ended up opening my own business, which was a real estate development company. But I have degrees in real estate. I've got a master's degree from MIT in the field. I have an MBA from Harvard. I worked at that time already probably a dozen years for other large organizations. So I had demonstrated the ability to be a leader and to be a successful business person. So I think that's that helps. That being said, it's not sufficient <laughs> because there are always dynamics with other people.
in case when when I took over my middle sister and there are five in my family but my middle sister was already working there and she was going to need to report to me and so there were things that we needed to work out and so I think it's it's complicated um, and I'm happy to talk more about sort of compensation and whether it should all be the same or not if your family I have strong views on that but I do think some of this is part of do you have the qualifications do you have the skills to do the job that you're being asked to do and in some cases it was in, in my case it was a, a medical necessity that that required some type of intervention and it was it was a voluntary thing. I mean, I wasn't drafted, I did volunteer, but somebody needed to do something. So we either needed to close the business or someone had to take over in order to keep it going because of this medical event. So there was, there was clearly an event that precipitated. Um, and I, I would say even, even despite some of the difficulties that we've had as a family and we all do get along uh, and we are connected, I think people would say that I did come in and I'm not sure that would have been the right sorry about that that's not my technic technical difficulty I think that's uh, the result of zoom but I think you bring up a couple of very good points first of all you know I constantly see family members who have issues reporting to each other and they don't see that they see it as the family, in the family we were equal, but in the business we have to be equal as well. I, I don't think there's equality in business. And then the whole compensation issue, you're right, you're opening it up and that's gonna be part of another segment that we're gonna be talking about. But Rich or, or Steve, do you wanna address any of the, the points that Roberta brought up? Yeah, I think one thing is if it's large enough, I don't, I'm not so sure you're comfortable with a family member reporting to another family member. I think it creates its own issues in itself based on you know things outside of the business. So to the extent that a family business is large enough and it, and could you know separate family members, I think that's healthy uh, because there's more objectivity into it. I also feel that we shouldn't confuse family decisions with business decisions, and often in situations like that they they get clouded and mixed and i think a good leader effective leader and i understand roberta has been a wonderful leader uh, you you were able to ascertain and you know synthesize the issues and to determine you know what's effective for the business itself versus what's effective for my family so i think that needs to be really thought through carefully when you have family members entering the business. I agree with you, Steve. I don't think it's ideal for family members to be reporting to each other. Sometimes um, I think it can't be helped, but, but one thing I think is, is great for a family business. If you can have a board of directors or some kind of committee of people outside of the family or having some members be outside the family, whether it be consultants that the, you know become trusted advisors or accountants or attorneys, whoever it may be, or, or other people that just have industry experience and have some of the real senior leadership and especially the family members reporting to that body so that they can be making decisions on what's best for the company and not be blurred sometimes by it's my son or my daughter or some relative. So, so I think trying to get outsiders um, 
in, in the governance of the company is a really good idea for family businesses. Mm -hmm. and I, I pick up on that, Rich, because I think that's essential. That's okay, Jeffrey, if I jump in yep. here. Um, that was critical for us. It was absolutely critical to, to create, and we created actually several circles. We had you know, what we called the board, which was what we called the, the asset council. We also created the family council, picking up on, on Stephen's point that you have to have family issues resolved over here and business issues resolved over there. In our case, we unfortunately had to create a third circle, which we called the care council, because there were so many issues about the medical needs um, for my parents. But th having that outside perspective and having the ability to to ask people who could be objective sounding boards and be part of certain decisions was critical to the success and the dynamics. So I, I, I can't say strongly enough how much I would encourage every family business and every, every business, quite frankly, to at least have an advisory board, if not a fiduciary board. Super. I just want to project on there. I'm a firm believer that they're actively involved in a number of large businesses, but the leader of the company needs to set a clear agenda, needs to be prepared, needs to have, you know, an understanding that it takes work to have an effective board. And the board needs, the board members need to be engaged. This is not just for, you know, having a dinner or a nice lunch. This is really effective work. And you need to compensate the board, board of advisors or board members appropriately depending on the situation, if you want the, if you want their input and you want them engaged in particular parts of the business. Uh, you know, in the last part of the segment, and I agree with all that, I believe in the corporate governance council, a board of directors. I love that you brought up family council. I think that that's gotta be looked at separately <laughs> from a board or a board of advisors. Family council, I found to be very practical in a family business. One thing I do know is that a business has to be set up to make decisions. And if they're being made like a family and uh, without necessarily the best interests of the business, that leads to conflict. So I, I, I would, I ask for those who want to do it, if they want to give an example and I'll give one example for myself, I'll start first. I worked with a company that had six family members involved in the business, some working more than others. And it, they're, they went to a particular point where they had lost about 70% of the revenue of the business and they could not make a decision as a family. Everything was sort of a split decision. So everything was a stalemate and creating that board of uh, directors, board of advisors for that company with, uh, with, with a voting process where there were vote breakers involved in the process, I found to be very helpful for the company and it really helped them to move things along. It did create some family strife, but there was family strife before. So it was just a different type of strike. So I don't know if anybody else wants to add any other examples in the limited time that we have. Yeah, I'll add something. So what was interesting is I, I, I sat on the board of a client. It was a distributor, a large um, construction distribution company. And there were family members in the business, but the board realized that the president and family member really couldn't take the, the company to the next level. And as the board, it, it took us a, a year and a half to convince the owner that it would be right to sell. And it so happened there was some roll-ups in the industry and we were able to convince the board member 
uh, the, the owner to sell. And it took a lot, long time, even though his son and his daughter were on the payroll and there was opportunities. What, what happened was um, he made more money from the roll-up after he sold from this private equity company that bought the company. So, you know, forever he's thankful when he looks back that he made the, he made the decision to sell the company, which was fabulous. So it was great for, for the family. Yeah, I'll give, it, I'll give an example from my own experience. So I can tell you in, um, in, in my family's business, we had similar decisions to make at certain times. And one of them was about selling a certain building. So you just made me think of this when you mentioned that, Stephen. And so what we did was we engaged using our outside directors, engaged with them to kind of help run the process so that it would be above the board, transparent, um, no questions about, oh, you're putting your thumb on the scale or you're, you're somehow um, manipulating the, the numbers. And it made for a much smoother process because again, they, they were objective, they were not benefiting one way or the other. And so it, it really smoothed out what could have been a very contentious conversation or conversations, plural. Uh, any closing comments from anyone on this segment? No, Nathan? Thank you, everyone. That was a really great conversation. And uh, we look forward to more comments in parts two and three. Links to the other parts will be included in the video description below. Uh, or if you're listening uh, to the podcast, make sure you have subscribed so that you can catch the next segments when they go live. We'll be back with more of this panel discussion on Radio Entrepreneurs.